Okay, so um, <laughs> got to give you a little glimpse into the Leavenworth household last night. Uh, <laughs> little story. Uh, it was about one o'clock this morning. I decided that I wanted to listen to uh, uh, to my iPod, and uh, being one o'clock in the morning and having been laying in bed, I'm uh, I'm in my underwear. It's one o'clock. All the lights are off, and I think I'm safe walking from my bedroom into my office to get my iPod. Uh, but I'd forgotten that when uh, Josh and the guys from Telecast were out, they stayed at my house, and we had a, I have a um, sort of a couch futon thing that I have in my office, and we'd taken it out for the guys to sleep in it. My son decided he didn't want that in his room, and so he moved it out into the hallway, a uh, big wooden obstruction that I didn't see in the dark. And so before you know it, I'm falling over this wooden thing, and I, my feet are above my head, and it just collapsed down on this thing, hit it full on on my chest, and I'm screaming in agony. And of course, my wife and my daughter Megan come running out. All the lights go on, and there's Pastor Ted in all his glory in his underwear. <laughs> and I'm dying in pain. I'm mean, seriously. I think I broke a rib or two. I'm like there, and I'm oh, I'm just holding myself. And uh, Megan, you know, standing there, my daughter, and I'm just I'm okay. Just go 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 back in, and hiding my nakedness and my shame. Uh, anyway, a little too much information for you there, but. If I seem a little stiff this morning, I am. Uh, you can pray for me. Um, okay, hey, listen, just a couple of announcements before we get into the message. Um, in your seat back, you'll notice that uh, there's an invitation card, uh, and uh, there's a visitor and prayer card, um, and uh, a tithe envelope there. And uh, if, uh, if you have any needs whatsoever, we are a praying church, and we would like to encourage you to, uh, to fill out the prayer card. Uh, you can drop it in any of the offering boxes at the back. Uh, we would like to pray for you. Um, and uh, if you're new here and uh, you'd like to, us to contact you, give you more information, by all means, definitely fill that out. Uh, if there's somebody you want to invite to church, you can take one of the invitations with you uh, and give that uh, to someone to invite. Also, uh, we have free bumper stickers that are over at the back. We think they'll look great on your car or on your neighbors. Uh, and so if you want to take a bumper sticker, you can uh, with our compliments. Um, uh, finally, just a, a couple of quick announcements about uh, our youth summer schedule. It's out now. Uh, and so if, uh, if you're parents of teenagers, you want to know what we're doing this summer, you got to log on to our website. There's just too much for me to give you this morning. It's reliancechurch.org. Uh, also, ladies, you have a summer of mentoring available for you. We have lots of things going on uh, for you ladies this summer. And guys, you're not left out. We've got some events coming up, a breakfast and skeet shoot uh, and, uh, you know, spiritual things, shotguns and stuff like that. So anyway, check out the website. You can get all the information on that. All right. With that, let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 11 as we continue our study through the book of Acts. Acts chapter 11. Honestly, I wanted to be able to move on to Acts chapter 12, but I think there's just a little bit more in chapter 11 that we can get out of, and so uh, that's how the Holy Spirit led me this week, and so we're going to finish up chapter 11 this week. As we continue our study through the book of Acts, we see that Acts details the continuing work of Jesus Christ through ordinary women like you and me. That's one of the amazing things of the gospel is that God accomplishes extraordinary... What? Ordinary women? Like ordinary men and women like you and me. All right, let's take the offering. We'll just pray. We can go home on that note. God does extraordinary things through men and women. Maybe not through me, but he does extraordinary things through men and women. Men like me and you, Pastor Terry. 
God does extraordinary things. When you think about God doing extraordinary things, what goes through your mind? What do you think about when you think about God doing extraordinary things through an ordinary person? Well, if you're like most people, you think about uh, the fact that maybe that person has to do a lot of preparation. Maybe you need to sell everything you own and move to a grass hut in Africa and uh, minister to, uh, to the people in Africa. Or maybe you need to spend years in a seminary and build a big old large church or uh, run an international ministry like Billy Graham or maybe do some sort of an international relief operation like World Vision. Something big like that. Usually when you think about doing big things for God, it involves like this big mechanism and this big orchestration. But the amazing thing, one of the extraordinary things about the moving and working of God's Holy Spirit is that when God does amazing works through men and women, typically they start with very ordinary, unremarkable, almost insignificant events. Have you discovered that to be true? God does these amazing works and, and usually at their genesis, at their beginning, they're not things that you would recognize as being amazing. The story is told of a janitor in a small country church. And it was uh, snowing very hard outside, and it got to be so bad that most of the congregation wasn't able to make it into the church. The pastor himself couldn't make it into the church. And this janitor, this, this simple man uh, who really was unlearned, was... Uh, the one who was responsible to give the message. And so he got up before the, the meager congregation that was there and he began to teach out of the only scripture that was familiar to him, a passage in Isaiah that talked about looking unto the cross, looking unto, uh, lo- looking unto Jesus, really. And it was, it was this, this, uh, uh, passage of scripture there that, you know, as he began to talk and as he began to pour out his heart, really, as I said, an uneducated man, not a lot of fancy things to say. Uh, and there was a young man, nevertheless, that had also ironically come into that church because it was snowing. He was heading to his normal regular church that he attended uh, in his unsaved state, couldn't make it there, turned into this unlikely of places, hearing this janitor uh, preach this message. And, the, and this young man, came forward and gave his life to Jesus Christ. And that man was Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who got saved because a janitor happened to be preaching the word of God in uh, an unlikely time, unlikely setting. God does these works that are, that are huge works, ultimately, but they don't seem huge at the time. Of course, we're all familiar with the story of Pastor Chuck Smith in Costa Mesa and how uh, this huge work that would, ta- that would take place, that would come out of Calvary Chapel, uh, really started with just a heart uh, for these lost hippies. Then uh, Kay just saying, I just want to get one of these kids in my house. And uh, Chuck saying, let's open the doors of the church to these kids. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. God doing a great work. I think of a good friend of mine, Pastor Jerry Brown, uh, there in, uh, in Romaland. He's, he's got, uh, Calvary Chapel Romaland going on and he does the ministry of U-Turn for Christ. But Pastor Jerry started that work, a very humble work. He just had a heart for those that were struggling with drug and alcohol, uh, and addictions. And, and he himself reached out for them. And now Pastor Jerry has U-Turn for Christ ranches in, uh, probably over a dozen states now and, and indeed across the world. He has a U-Turn for Christ ranch in Mexico. He's got one in the Philippines. Uh, and uh, just God continuing to move and work. A great, huge, awesome work 
that started with just a very humble, small, uh, seemingly insignificant thing. And of course, from my own experience, I think, and there's six churches that come to my mind, Revival Christian Fellowship, and uh, Calvary Chapel Nuevo, and Calvary Hills in Menifee, and the Core Christian Fellowship in, in French Valley, and uh, Calvary Christian Fellowship in Eagle, Colorado, and of course, Reliance Church here in Temecula. And here are these six churches with thousands of people that are being ministered to and the work that all these six churches combined are doing uh, throughout the world. And it all is the result of this pastor and his wife who decided to come over to the home of a young fireman and his wife and his family just to minister to them. And as I think back on that pastor coming to minister to Brenda and I, I mean, literally, it couldn't have been more than three hours tops that he and his wife dedicated to, to pouring their life into these in, in into these kids that (laughs) really what we were at the time. And who would have thought that just they're making the decision to reach out and to sacrifice a few hours of their time would have such a profound impact uh, on the world in which we live. And yet that indeed is the work uh, that God desires to do. We have no idea what God will do through us if we'll just let him. And that's what the book of Acts is all about, is people that would just let God do what he wants to do. Uh, we're told in the beginning there, uh, when the writer is, is writing the book of Acts, he says, in my former work, O Theophilus, I, I talked about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. There, the, the writer being uh, Luke, uh, the Gospel of Luke, and he's talking about the things that Jesus began to do, and of course, the inference is that in the book of Acts, it's the things that Jesus continues to do in and through his church. You and me, we're a part of that. We've received this baton that has been passed on to us and have this opportunity to run the race that is set before us, trusting God to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all we can ask or think. And of course, the example for us, probably our best example, is Jesus Christ. As we look at Jesus, how he started the Christian message with 12 men, 12 unlikely men at that. By the time of his ascension, they had grown to 120, and then barely a week later, there were 3,000 believers added on the day of Pentecost. By the end of the first century, we see that there were half a million believers that were now following after Jesus Christ. By the end of the second century, there were 10 million followers of Jesus. By the close of the ninth century, there were over 100 million followers of Jesus Christ. And today, there are over 1 billion professing Christians across the world. All started with these 12 unlikely men that Jesus Christ handpicked. It's the principle, the principle of exponential growth. Let me ask you a question. If I set out to tell one person a day about Jesus Christ, and they, in turn respond by telling one person a day about Jesus Christ? How long do you think it would take to tell two million people about Jesus? Two million people, if we each were responsible just to tell one person a day about Jesus Christ, and they in turn told one person, it would take 22 days to tell one million people about Jesus Christ. Add another week to that, and the figure jumps to over a billion. It would reach 1.3 people in 28 days, if we each just endeavored to tell one person about Jesus Christ every single day, and they in turn told one person. And at that rate, the whole earth would hear the gospel in less than a month. The entire population of the earth would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ if every single person would just simply tell one person per day about Jesus Christ. Amazing. Absolutely phenomenal. And of course, that's the heart of the gospel, isn't it? 
The heart of the gospel is that we would share the good news, that we would go into all the world and, and preach the gospel. Jesus told his disciples in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And of course, the operative word there is go, isn't it? It's go. Uh, therein lies the problem. The gospel hasn't gone out to everyone because more often than not, we don't go, do we? We're responsible to share the gospel, to share the good news with those that we come in contact with. And as I said, more often than not, we fail to do that. A good friend of mine came up to me recently and he was heartbroken that I had left, to, to, left Revival to start a new work. And he, he said, I thought you and Pastor Gary would be together forever. And I said, bro, we will be together forever in heaven. But we're on earth right now and Jesus has commanded us to go and to make disciples. And I said, bro, it's... You look at the book of, of Acts, you look at what was happening at the church in Jerusalem and how God was doing this great work. And God had told them back in Acts chapter 1 that uh, you, you're going to receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But you check seven years into it and they're still in Jerusalem. They're still all in the same place. And they wouldn't go out because things were so good and God actually had to bring persecution against the church to actually kick them out and get them to where he wanted to be. And I was able to tell my friend, listen, God's doing a continuing work. And, and the, 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 the call on us is to go forth and to engage in that work, to do what he calls us to do. And we, God forbid that he sh- it should come to the place where he has to allow persecution to come against us to actually get us to move out and to go where he wants us to go. Well, that's the case here in uh, the book of Acts. We see that God allowed that persecution to come against the church and they were scattered. We'll pick it up in verse 19. Now, those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all with purpose of heart. They should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarshish to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. And then one of them, named Argabus, stood up, uh, showed uh, by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his own abilities, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. There are three powerful principles of Christianity here in this text. And I just didn't, we couldn't leave Acts chapter 11 without touching on these incredible principles that we have detailed here in our text. If you're taking notes, the three principles that we see outlined here in these verses, these few verses that we read, number one is that true Christianity reaches out. True Christianity reaches out. Number two, true Christianity builds up. And number three, true Christianity gives back. True Christianity reaches out, 
It builds up and it gives back. First of all, let's take a look. True Christianity reaches out. We notice in verse 22 there that the, the, the church in Judea had become aware of what was going on in Antioch and they sent out Barnabas to go to them. An amazing thing is happening there in Antioch, as Pastor Josh taught last week. It's probably the third largest city in the world uh, at, this, at this time. And a, a very wicked, evil city. And the gospel had gone forth there and people were getting saved and it was changing their lives. And of course, that kind of news travels fast. And the word got back to the church in Jerusalem. Hey, the gospel has gone out to the city of Antioch. Would have been a very big deal. People are turning to the Lord and here these these uh, Gentiles who are, are wicked sinners are actually living in a renewed relationship with Christ. And, and it was a big thing. And the cool thing is, is that the church in Jerusalem wasn't threatened by this message going out. And, and it breaks my heart today. We see that churches will, one church in one region will be engaged in a great work and other Christians will begin to attack those works. We see so often that the, the biggest attack against Christianity oftentimes is other Christians attacking these different works. Now, sometimes the attack is warranted when we see people in, engaged in, in horrible heresy or things that are, are ultimately destructive or counter uh, to the gospel of Christ. But so oftentimes, what is just taking place between ministries is that there's just plain uh, base jealousy that, that takes place. And thank God that this isn't the case the, uh, here in our text, but that the church in Jerusalem has this heart to reach out. And they said, wow, this is cool. This, this church is going in Antioch, and we should respond and help them. Let's send Barnabas to help them. Barnabas is a great guy, has a great reputation. We'll learn a little bit more about him here in just a minute. And so they send this guy to help him. It's the heart of the gospel. We're going to reach out. Jesus has called us to build the kingdom of God. Amen? He hasn't called us to build an empire. He hasn't called us to build something that exists for our own pleasure. He's called us to build the kingdom. And building the kingdom means that we reach out. I had a meeting with our elders and our deacons just the other night. The men got together for a time of prayer and, uh, and uh, just fellowship. We had 30 of our guys come out. It was an awesome time. But before that, the elders and the deacons took advantage of this time just to get together and meet and pray and to discuss the things of the ministry. And one of the things that we talked about was that our vision for ministry here at Reliance Church is that we have a heart to send out and to start to equip other churches, other works. Now, right now, we're, we're in our infancy, and it's not appropriate that an infant should reproduce, but it is our heart that as we grow up and as God provides for us, that we will ultimately be a church that reproduces. And our heart and our vision is to put together, assemble teams, equip teams that we can send out wherever the Holy Spirit might lead, that we can see God do these amazing works. And so from day one, we've been setting aside 10% of the tithes and offerings that come in towards planting other churches. By faith, 10% from day one has gone into an account for planting other churches. And we, over the, the many months that we've been doing this, have been able to save up so far about $12,000 that we're putting towards planting other churches. And the Lord challenged me with this early on as I was praying through this and saying, and this is, Lord, this is my heart. This is what I want to do. I feel like this is the, the gospel. This is what you show us that we're to go and to do this. We see it modeled in the book of Acts. And, 
And the Lord challenged me and said, are you going to be ready to part with and say goodbye to some of the people that are going to be required to do this? Because uh, we see that the Holy Spirit, and we'll, we'll study this uh, a little bit more in a, in a few weeks, but there's a situation where the Holy Spirit says, set apart to me Paul and Barnabas for the work that I've called them to do. He says this to the church. And the church, if you realize, you kind of look and take a survey at the talent that's there in the church. These are like two of the best guys. And the Holy Spirit requires that we would be willing to send out our best. And our temptation so often is to say, no, I want them all here. We've got this organization going good. This guy is great and he's talented and I want to keep him here. And that's not the heart of the Lord. And so the Lord challenged me with that. And I said, Lord, I'll need faith and I'll need your strength. But yes, I want for our church to be a sending church. I want us to be a church that goes out and, and builds and equips and, and, and does these, these works, not just here in South Temecula, but wherever you might lead. And it's so cool for me that as we're meeting and the elders and the deacons all getting together and talking and praying, that the Holy Spirit is confirming in all of our hearts, yes, this is what I'm calling you to do. And this is what I'm calling you to prepare to do. And so we look forward in faith to that day when we, like the church in Jerusalem, will be able to send people out to support and encourage new works. And that we will be able to be like the church that we see in Acts, send out our best to go do works that the Holy Spirit might orchestrate and call us to. And so the church in Jerusalem had a heart to reach out, and they sent this guy Barnabas you might recall that we first met Barnabas in chapter 4 of the book of Acts. And we read there in Acts chapter 4 that Barnabas was the owner of some property, some land. Uh, and he sold that property, a very expensive region of land where he owned that property. Would have been highly valuable land. And he sold that property and he gave the proceeds of the sale to the apostles. He laid it at the apostles' feet. You might recall that Ananias and Sapphira saw this, and no doubt there was a lot of praise associated with it, not the motive of Barnabas' heart to do. And Ananias and Sapphira decided, we want to do that too. And they give a little uh, of the proceeds of a sale of a property they owned. Of course, they lied and said it was all of the proceeds that they had gotten, and they ended up dying for their hypocrisy. But at any rate, Barnabas is this, this man who is very generous, a man that we read is full of the Holy Spirit. And uh, Barnabas, being this great man, endeavors to go do this great work. Barnabas, by the way, in Aramaic, in Aramaic uh, it, the name means son of rest or son of peace or perhaps most accurately, son of encouragement. And we read about Barnabas in verse 23 and, we tw- and 24 and we understand the source of his peace. It says there in 23 and 24, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and he encouraged them. Uh, he encouraged them all that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. And it tells us there in 24, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. A good man, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And Barnabas, his heart filled with the Holy Spirit. Him being a good man, he naturally is this one who will be encouraging and a source of encouragement and help to others because he himself has received abundantly from the Lord. Barnabas was that encourager because the Lord himself had encouraged Barnabas' heart. I heard an interview with Harrison Ford 
not too long ago, Harrison Ford now enjoying great box office success with his latest uh, release, the, the Indiana Jones uh, movie. And uh, they were talking to Harrison Ford, and he says, you know, you always want what you ain't got. And the interviewer's like, okay, movie star, millionaire, what ain't you got? And he said, peace. I don't have peace. And by the same token, you, you, you know, not able to, to give anything that, that you don't possess, Barnabas being this son of encouragement, the son of peace, uh, this, this man that's able to be a blessing to others, obviously he himself had received that. He was able to give what he had received. He had a reputation as a man who was an encourager. Let me ask you this morning, what's your reputation? How do people perceive you? How do you interact with those in your life? What proceeds from your mouth? Are you one who, like Barnabas, could be seen as an encourager, one who is a blessing to other people? Or are your interactions with other people a little bit more negative than that? I just heard the story of uh, one of our members, Jerry Knight, who uh, on his street, tragically, uh, there was a family dealing with suicide. Uh, the mom uh, committed suicide just, just a couple of weeks ago, a week and a half ago. And Jerry, hearing about what had taken place, uh, he went door to door in the neighborhood and he began to, to solicit help for this family, getting them meals, getting them uh, support, and just meeting the different needs that they have. And it told, blessed my heart, because again, that is a picture of true Christianity. True Christianity reaches out. How is God calling you to reach out? How can you reach out to those around you? Remember, God wants to do a great work. He desires to do exceedingly and abundantly, beyond all we can ask or think. And oftentimes, it's not going to be presented as a great work. It's going to be presented as some seem just seemingly small, insignificant thing that we could do. Well, secondly, true Christianity builds up. Not only does true Christianity reach out, but it also builds up. Again, notice there in verse 23 and 24 that Barnabas was glad and he encouraged them, the text says. The Bible calls him the son of encouragement. Webster's defines encouragement as to inspire with courage or hope. I was reading the Reader's Digest and there was a story about a gal who came to her front door and she opened it up one morning. She was going to get the paper and there was this dog she'd never seen before, this little dog, uh, wagging its tail and it had her paper in its mouth. It had gotten her paper from the end of the driveway and actually brought it up to the, to the porch and she was so thrilled and taken in by this little dog. She started feeding it a bunch of treats and just good dog, good dog. Well, she woke up the next morning and she thought, I, I wonder if, if my little friend's out there. And she opened the porch and there was the dog with her paper in its mouth and its tail wagging. But to her horror, he'd gotten nine, or nine other papers as well that he'd brought up from her neighbor's house. And there he was, surrounded by all of these papers. Of course, she spent the day returning the papers to her neighbors. But the, the fact is, is that encouragement goes a long way, doesn't it? When we're encouraged, when somebody encourages us, it just makes you want to do better. I uh, read of another story, uh, and I can, I can identify with this, but there was this man who uh, had been a very successful businessman, and his business failed. He came on really hard times. And so in order to put food on his family's table, he started to work in construction, and he wasn't very good at it. 
uh, and he was, you know, been pushing papers his, his whole life. And so there he was, he was actually, uh, hauling concrete in a wheelbarrow and, uh, blisters all over his hands, not very successful and, uh, not getting a whole lot of slack from the guys on the job site. Cause obviously he hadn't done this for very long. And so people criticizing him and writing him and giving him a hard time and he wanted to quit. And uh, one Friday at the end of the work week, the, the foreman came by and he passed out the, uh, the pay slips for, for everybody. And uh, he said to, the foreman says to the guy as he's handing him his pay slip, hey, one of the girls in the office knows you. And he says, what? He says, yeah, she knows you. She says she watches your kids. Well, he opened his pay stub and there written uh, in a little slip of paper in the pay slub envelope was a note from this woman. As it turned out, she worked in the nursery at his church and she just written a little note there in his envelope. And it said, uh, when one part of the body aches, the whole body aches with it. And uh, I'm praying for you. And that was the, all the encouragement that this man needed to continue on. Prior to receiving that, he was going to turn in his resignation at the end of that day. Because he was so far out of his element. We need to be those that would encourage people. It's, it's a powerful motivator. And it's so very important. The Bible has a whole lot to say about encouragement. And if you notice in our text here, encouragement consists of two distinct elements. We see that encouragement consists of praising words, but it also consists of practical works. The way that we can encourage those around us. We can have praising words and we can also have practical works. In regards to the praising words, we see that Barnabas exhorted them to continue with the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29, it tells us, Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Let me ask you the question this morning. What comes out of your mouth? What is your word to the people around you? Are you one who gives praise or are you one who gives abuse? Do you have words of execution that come out of your mouth or words of exhortation? I think of Darius when I think about this. Darius works in our children's ministry and he's so faithful. And he's a man that if you notice and if you listen... He never has a bad word to say about people. It's always a word of encouragement. When he sees you, he'll, he'll point out something encouragement and praiseworthy uh, within you. And it just, it, it makes all the difference in the world. I read a poem about this. It says, as I watched them tear a building down, a gang of men in a busy town, with a ho-he-ho and a lusty yell, they swung a beam and the sidewall fell. I asked the foreman, are these men skilled and the men you'd hire if you wanted to build? And he gave a laugh and he said, no, indeed, just common labor is all I need. I can easily wreck in a day or two what builders have taken years to do. And I thought to myself as I went my way, which of these roles have I tried to play? Am I a builder who works with care, measuring life by rule and square? Am I shaping my work to a well-made plan, patiently doing the best I can? Or am I a wrecker who walks to town, content with tearing other people down? O Lord, let my life and my labors be that which will build for eternity. Praising words. Well, not only do we see praising words as a a practical part of this, we also see practical works. 
Practical works. Notice in verse 25 and 26, Barnabas went uh, and got help to supply what was lacking. It says there in verse 25, Then Barnabas departed for Tarshish to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. This, this word in verse 20, uh, 25 there, says that, that Barnabas departed for Tarshish to seek Saul. That phrase, seek Saul. Literally, it means to search diligently. We, same, we see this exact same phrase used in Luke chapter 2 when Jesus' parents found him missing. And it says they went back and began to search for him. Can you imagine if your child wound up missing? How would you search for that child? This is the picture of how uh, Barnabas went to search for Saul. And see, the thing is, is that Barnabas went, he was sent out to this church in Antioch to help them, to encourage them, and he encouraged them verbally, but he also encouraged them practically. Being there, being amongst them, he discerned, wow, these guys have a need. They really need some discipleship and some growth. And you know who would be perfect for this job? Paul. Saul of, Saul of Tarshish. He's, he's a great guy for this. And I know he's back there. I'm going to go find him. I'm going to get him. And I'm going to bring him back. You see, he actually went out of his way to help. His heart was in it. It wasn't just this this mild thing. And and I can identify with this. I mean, I got the call from Eric when he was in Colorado planting a church. And I went out there. And and I told several of you the story where we're out there and we're meeting and kind of negotiating the lease. And I'm discerning as I'm looking around this building, man, there's a lot of work. We could blow this out in a weekend if we got enough workers. And so I had the opportunity to come back to make the announcement in church, to put together a trip, to go out to Colorado. And and this is the heart of Barnabas here. He's like, man, I can totally see how, how we could build this church up. We need, we need Saul of Tarshish. He's the guy for the job. And he goes and he searches for him at, at personal expense, at, at the expense of time, money, uh, and effort. And he goes and he gets this guy and he brings him back. The writers of Hebrew tell, Hebrews tells us, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. And that word consider there in Hebrews chapter 10, 24 it means to consider attentively, to fix one's eyes or mind upon. And of course, if we're going to consider someone else attentively, if we're going to fix our eyes and our minds on someone else, what does that mean? Well, it means to, we need to take our eyes and our mind off of ourselves, right? And so often we go through life and it's all about me, myself, and I, and I'm so consumed with what's going on in my life, I can't see the people around me. I can't see the needs around me. But if we take this scripture to heart that we're to consider others, how we can provoke them to good works, that we need to not be self-focused, not be inwardly focused, but we need to be outwardly focused, looking at the people around us. How can we bless them? It's been said a man wrapped up in himself makes a very small package. And we need to be able to have the heart and the mindset that we'll look out, look at others, not just ourselves. And some of us don't have any problem looking at others. Well, we just look at others critically. Don't we? There's some that just have that gift of discouragement where they can look at other people and just find everything that's wrong with them. And it requires this obedience to this scripture that we would look at others with a heart of love, with a heart of of compassion, with a heart that wants to edify them, that wants to build them up. Well, thirdly and finally, true Christianity gives back. 
True Christianity gives back. We see this in verse 29 and verse 30. It says, Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. And this they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. That stands out to me, that the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. I heard the story about Henry Ford. He was this American industrialist. We're all familiar with Henry Ford. Uh, created the automobile. He didn't invent the internal combustion engine. He invented the, uh, the assembly line uh, and uh, revolutionized that sort of construction, made the automobile affordable. And he was once don't, asked to donate money for the construction of a new medical facility. Uh, and, you know, here this guy is a, literally a billionaire back in a time when a millionaire was uh, sufficient. And he was a billionaire, and this hospital asked him to donate. And so meagerly, he decided he would only donate $5,000. Uh, the next day in the newspaper, the person who was soliciting the fundraiser funds for the hospital published that he had pledged to donate $50,000 to the local hospital. In the, in the local newspaper, there it was emblazoned that Ford was donating $50,000. Well, he was irate, and he called up the person at the charity that he had talked to, and he said, look, I, I didn't ever promise you $50,000. I promised you $5,000. And the guy said, okay, look, I'll tell you what. I'll print a retraction in the newspaper saying that you've reduced your donation by $45,000. And so Ford realized the pickle that he was in, that now, you know, here he was uh, on record as giving $50,000, even though he never promised to do so. And so he realized that he had to follow through with the $50,000. Kind of shrewd on this this charity worker's uh, part, but definitely not ethical. And so Ford says, yeah, I'll give you the 50 grand, but uh, I insist that this inscription be written above the entrance to the hospital. It was a a biblical uh, quote that said, I came among you and you took me in. And of course, the the double entendre there, right? Came among you and you took me in. And so, you know, the sad thing is, is that a lot of ministries do that, don't they? There are a lot of ministries that take people in and kind of work the angle for their money. And the beautiful part about this this, uh, last portion here, the thing that stands out to me, True Christianity gives back. And as ministry, we don't have to be shrewd in taking people in and fleecing the flock and finding creative ways to reach into your pockets and to get your money. When we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to move and work in our lives. And he's going to to lead us to the place where we're going to give as he directs. We're going to give if we just be sensitive to the moving and working of the Holy Spirit. And I noticed two things in this first verse, this uh, verse 29. First of all, that the disciples determined to give. And secondly, that they gave according to their ability. Philip Brooks said that it's almost as presumptuous to think that you can do nothing as to think that you can do everything. And there's something that all of us can do. All of us can help in one way or another. It's the heart of our Lord to give. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whomever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It is our Lord's heart to give, and we are going to be imitators of the Lord. And so hearing their need, the brothers' need in Judea, the disciples determined to help. And notice that they helped as they were able right? Very significant there. I heard the story about Alexander the Great, and he was riding in, in his chariot going forth, and there was a beggar begging on the side of the road, and he gave him two gold coins. 
And one of the guys with Alexander the Great said, are you kidding me? You gave him two gold coins? You could have given him two copper coins. It wouldn't make a difference to him. And he says, no, but it made a difference to me. I didn't give according to his need. I gave according to my ability. And so, you know, he says that, that type of giving might not have suited him, but it suited me. And so each one of us is to give according to our own ability. As the Lord has provided, as we are able to give, the Lord commands us that we should give. And verse 30 says, concludes, This they also did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Now that, at first I got it, 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 it's curious the way that's written. It's like you read in verse 29 that they, each according to his own ability, determined to send relief. They had already determined to give. Why does it say, this they also did? Well, because it's one thing to say you're going to do something, and it's another thing to actually do it, right? And so these disciples, they determine in their heart they're going to give, and they determine that they're going to give according to their own ability. But then they actually followed through with it. They gave as they had purposed in their heart. Talk is cheap. It's not just enough to say we're going to do something. We need to do what we say we're going to do. And that's what Jesus' brother James had to say in the book of James. You recall we went through the book of James. uh, And Jesus' brother James asked the question, Dear brothers and sisters, what's the youth of saying you have faith if you don't prove it by your actions? That kind of faith can't save anyone. Suppose you see a brother or sister who needs food or clothing and you say, well, goodbye and God bless you. Stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? You see, it isn't just good enough to have faith. Faith that doesn't show itself by good deeds is no faith at all. It is dead and it is useless. This morning, my prayer for you and me is that we would be men and women of faith, that we would respond as God leads us and that we wouldn't be hearers of the word only, but that we would be doers of the word because true faith is shod with shoe leather. We're going to put feet on our faith and actually do what God has called us to do. Well, we're going to close this morning as we always do. We close by partaking of communion. We do this every week. And this is our time to respond to God. We, we come and we, we worship the Lord and we receive from the Lord from his word. And in, this is our time to be doers of his word, to actually take to heart what he has spoken to us. And so this is our opportunity to say, Lord, you move and work in my life. You show me what, uh, what you're doing. Uh, you show me how you would have me respond to this. This morning we've seen that true Christianity reaches out, that it builds up and that it gives back. And I think of our Lord Jesus Christ who reached out, who built us up, who gives back to us. And as we partake of communion, we're told in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 11 that a man first needs to examine himself. That we need not to partake in an unworthy manner. But that we're to respond to the Lord's uh, death, burial, and resurrection when we partake of communion by searching our own hearts. That's what we do here. The, the, the cracker represents his body broken for us because of our sin. This juice represents his blood shed on Calvary's cross for the remission of sins. And as we partake of this, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. We're saying that, Lord, I am remembering the fact that my sin sent you to the cross. Lord, I'm remembering the fact that you suffered, died, were buried, 
and rose again on the third day in fulfillment of the scriptures because of your great love for me.